the appearance of that person. Huh? What? Hello, my friends. My name is Lacus Klein. Impossible. What is she doing in Orb? I know that there's someone out there working together with Chairman Durandal. Someone with the same face, the same voice, and the same name. However, I am the real daughter of Siegel Klein, and I was the one who joined forces with the Archangel and fought in the last war. Just like I stand united with that ship these days, along with the representative of Orb. What is this? She and I are two completely different people, and our beliefs are just as different as well. I want everyone to be aware of that. No way. Hello and welcome to It's a Gundam, the internet's best episode-by-episode Gundam Seed podcast that now has to watch Destiny. My name is Jeremy. The only thing better than a regular laser is a space laser. I'm Tyler. Fortunately, there's only one of me. My name is Zach. I want to start this episode off with a slight retraction slash correction. I did some just terrible math on our recap episode. Shin is 16 now, so he was 14 when he entered basic. (laughs) Slightly more reasonable. Mayron was Slightly. not 12. It turns out, I didn't actually know this, I learned, Luna is actually 17. She's a year older than the rest of the cast, so Mayron is the same age as Shin. Huh. I didn't realize that she was supposed to be older than the others. That makes it much better. I knew she was Mayron's older sister by a year, but I just assumed Mayron was a year younger than the rest of them. Well, you assumed that Luna Mario was the same age as Shin and Rey, yeah. and Mayron was younger than the rest of them? Ray has no age listed, for probably obvious reasons at this point. Because he is clone? Interestingly, I want to know how they got this information. Shit is listed as 16 for Gundam Seed Destiny, but 17 for Gundam Seed Destiny The Chosen Future, which is the final episode. And I don't remember Shit celebrating a birthday during that, so I want to know where Gundam Wiki got that information. Well, I mean, do you really think Shin would have been celebrating his birthday throughout this entire thing? I think Luna would have got him a cupcake. <laughs> I don't think they would have had access to anything like that. In cupcake or in cupcakes, no one can hear your space. Um. <laughs> I mean, technically not wrong. No, I was going to say, I think his birthday is listed and there are dates occasionally in the show. So I'm wondering That's if we true. just passed the date. That could be. This week, we are watching episode 43, Lacus Times 2. Before we get into that episode, I wanted to talk about Lacus's arc, because I meant to bring some of this up at the end of the last episode, and we got kind of sidetracked on some other stuff. So before we get into Tyler, what did you think of this episode? It was all right. It was moderately entertaining. I'm a big fan of bending lasers, so that was helpful, I guess. I don't know. It seemed weirdly gratuitous in some ways. I like most of this episode. The end of this episode is legit a runner for me for low point of the series. Uh, Interesting. Jeremy, you know a lot more about this kind of stuff than I do. Was the whole, like, mirror laser thing out of Space Battleship Yamato in the original? Or was that something they added in the more recent version? Do not know. I don't know much about the original Space Battleship Yamato. Okay, because that is, like, it's been such a long time since I had seen this particular episode, and there is an instance in the Space Battleship Yamato series where someone does basically this exact same thing. I personally, at the very least, had the thought of this episode is poorly named. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have a whole lot to do with what actually happens this episode. Well, yeah, I mean, it's Lackis times two, and there's 
really only a reference to the two Lacuses in like the first five minutes and that's it. Yeah, and then cut to space. That's because of the awkward way they straddled this, right? They make it a cliffhanger and it's not enough to really cover even half an episode, but they straddle it across too. So it doesn't get a lot of time. I wanted to talk about Wackus and kind of Kira too. Last week, Tyler, you talked about why is Kira in this show? Or maybe it was on the recap. And the answer is because he's popular and cool. And he has that freedom Gundam. Yeah, I think, I think it was on the recap, but yes. But I think you can give Lacus and Kira a reasonable arc pretty easily here. Especially, and I'm talking a little bit with knowledge of what happens in the future. Their arc is kind of their two people who fixed the world and were like, okay, now we're done. Who and need they... to learn that that's not how the world works. It needs active, constant maintenance. It's not a clockmaker thing. You got to keep tinkering with it to make it better. Yeah. And I think this episode would have been a lot stronger if we had had some scenes earlier with Lacus seeing Mirror and not being bothered by it. And maybe I'm even specifically imagining her telling Kira or Maru or someone, I'll let her be Lacus client. I just want to be Lacus. Okay. Interesting. I, that would definitely be interesting. The only issue with that is that they've already got so many other plates spinning at this point going into more detail with Lacus. I'm not sure if they... Well, I mean, actually, we know they have the time because they've yeah, piddled exactly. so much of it around. <laughs> and also, she's such a focal and important character. And to be fair, even in the original Gundam Seed, she just mostly succeeds. The one time she really breaks down is when she collapses in Kira's arms and is like, hey, my dad's dead. I mean, spending is- some time on Kira and Lacus basically being upset that uh, they saved the world. That should be the end of it. And it's like, no, somebody is going to break it again. You have to constantly be active. Like having them go into that would actually make a lot of sense. Instead, they just kind of crop up and not really do a whole lot of introspection as things are going along. I just think giving Lacus doubts earlier makes this moment a lot more powerful. And it makes the moment last episode where she tells Atherin, hey, I also know what I need to do. Actually, a moment. Because it never to... seems like she didn't know what she needed to do. Exactly. Because she's like it. She knows what she's doing at any given point. She's the most <laughs> adult person in this show. She's read the script. <laughs> That's Lacus's coordinator ability. She can see the script. She's also really, really good at stealing giant mechs. They've only stolen two. She uh, has. I would call the Eternal a mech. She basically steals the justice. She just uses social engineering to steal the justice. Well, I mean, that's only three. That's pretty good. How many have you stolen, Zach? <laughs> uh, I've been informed previously not to answer that particular question without my lawyer present. Allegedly, zero. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I think that's all I wanted to bring up beforehand. Any other points on the episode you wanted to bring up, Tyler? Zach? I mean, this episode, like I said, it's poorly named. I like the beginning part of it. I'm not as big a fan of the whole bending lasers thing, but it does really ramp up the stakes here pretty significantly. But at the same time, that happens. Thousands, if not millions of civilians die. And at the end, we're supposed to be super happy that our main characters, because let's be honest, it's not Shin anymore, are determined to stop the chairman. Yeah, like I said. Hang on. Go back a sec. <laughs> Which side has just deployed a super weapon and murdered millions of civilians? I literally said this end of this episode is candidate for low point of the series. For similar reasons. I wanted to save it till we get there. But the tonal dissonance you just talked about is only one reason that that scene <laughs> is not yeah, great. I just It was just the first thought that I had. It's like, okay, we can stop the chairman. Okay, whatever. Even though you guys all talking about it makes it sound like you're all on board with his plan. Uh, whatever. Zach, you're stealing all my points. But it's like, let's deal with 
the guy that just deployed a super weapon and murdered millions. Then we can talk about dealing with the chairman, okay? No, that's Shen's job. They, they just know Shen will take care of it. All right. So we are watching episode 43, Lacus Times 2. You can watch along on YouTube or Crunchyroll. Crunchyroll does have all the names incorrect. If you just go to episode 43, you'll be okay. But the yep. name and description will be wrong. All the numbers are right. Yeah. Because the names are wrong. Yep. So having worked at a cable company for a while, I understand how this happens. All right. So we begin at the end of the last episode with Kigali once again addressing Lord Jabril on worldwide media. And Jabril being like, she don't know about my trap card. Lacus Klein. And we get that fantastic expression from Lacus again. I like her a little, like, startled. Oh, what am I doing on TV? Yeah, so she's like, but I'm here. <laughs> we are reminded that Ray, Shin, and the entire Minerva are watching. But unfortunately, Jabril did not know about Seven Tools of the Lacus, Kigali's <laughs> trap card. I do like how it shows everybody reacting on board the Minerva to this announcement. Because it does make a lot of sense. And... Blackus is like, well, I'm aware that there's somebody with the same name, voice, and appearance as mine. I do love how she doesn't in any way try to discredit Mir as a person or saying, like, there's someone pretending to be me. She literally goes for, I know there's someone who is conspicuously like me in any way. However, they are not me. I do actually kind of like the fact that we flash to Mir while she's making this announcement. And Mir just looks like she looks really sad. And it makes sense because... As far as she knows, Lacus would have been helping the chairman because that's what the chairman told her. And she just looks so, like, confused and kind of broken as a person with this. Well, I think she's had seeds of doubt planted at the time. Adam yeah. definitely planted some of those seeds on his way out. But you're right, she looks absolutely crushed by this, especially as it goes on. My favorite thing about this scene is that we get a picture-in-picture. Picture. Somehow someone is, like, doing that. I guess it would be whoever Lacus has working the camera. Or it's DaCosta, right? It has to be DaCosta. <laughs> no, DaCosta is with Waltfeld. We already know that. Yeah, he in didn't space. Come... And where are satellite broadcasts from, Zach? Especially since this is also going to the plants. Okay, okay, yeah, that's fair, that's fair. And DaCosta has definitely got the experience and training, because I think DaCosta has, like... 30 jobs at this point. Yeah, he definitely did a two-year course on lighting and camera work in the two <laughs> years between Seed and Destiny. He took a course on, like, media studies. Yeah. That was right after his espionage training. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. He's like, you know, I spent a lot of time working with Lacus on this whole manipulating the media thing. I should know more just in case we need to go from radio to TV. Producer man DaCosta. Uh, that's his next career. But yeah, Mir just looks, like, absolutely destroyed as this scene goes on. On screen the entire time as well. It's hilarious. Well, yeah, I mean, it makes, like I said, it makes so much sense because she's been told from the beginning that if Lacus was around, she'd be helping the chairman. And here's Lacus refuting that. And Mir, we already know, has so much hero worship for Lacus. Yeah. I also love that, like we said, they keep her on a picture in picture for everybody to see. And she's like, um, line? Line? <laughs> she keeps looking to people behind the camera like, I don't know what to do. Nothing prepared me for this. And I hadn't noticed that, Jeremy, that she never once, like, attacks Mir's character as a person. She just basically comes on and says, I don't know who she is. Our beliefs are different, but she never says she's wrong. We're two different people, and I don't agree with the chairman or her. I want to make it clear we have different beliefs. I'm with the Archangel. I do love how we cut to Diarca and Izak watching. And Diarca turns to Izak to be like, what's going on? Like, Izak <laughs> has somehow become the responsible, measured one. And like, 
I, relationship in the two years. I think this is more of a rhetorical question of like, dude, what the hell is going on now? Like, what's with this media manipulation shit again? Didn't we get enough of this two years ago when I turned traitor on you? I mean, when I helped the Archangel? And he's cause like, shut up. I'm pretty sure it's about to get good. <laughs> this is my favorite soap opera. Isaac totally watches soap operas, right? I, I, it's weird <laughs> that it shows Marin, and it kind of looks like Marin is realizing there are two different people in the shot, and I don't know if that's what we're supposed to take away from it. Oh, man. I distraught Mir. I'm so sorry, Mir. Like I said, she's the only good character in Gundam Seed. That's to me. Oh, she looks... Yeah, even after it is like, oh, my poor puppy that I couldn't bring with me. I tried so hard. <laughs> she did. wouldn't get in the cardboard box. I feel so bad for her. Meanwhile, like, Shin and Luna Mario are like, what the hell's going on? And Ray's like, damn it. We also see that a number of just regular civilians are also watching the broadcast because worldwide media and the Plant Supreme Council, they still exist. And Durandal is finally like, yeah, shut off our broadcast. And the producer's like, yeah, but he's like, are you watching it? Do you see what's happening? Turn it off right now. I know we will look dumb. We look way dumber right now. <laughs> I mean, it really makes so much sense because with Mira just standing there being so confused against the composed and well-prepared Lacus, it's pretty obvious which is which. This is definitely a serious scene, and so I don't actually want this, but I, what I kind of want is for the picture-in-picture screen to cut to a bouncing Haro that says technical difficulties. <laughs> we'll be right back. So Lacus goes on to say, so the chairman says that the people who fight aren't at fault and the people who don't aren't at fault. It's all Logos. But is he actually telling the truth? It sounds appealing. I, and I love Jabril. I love Jabril is like, yes, I can use this. He says, this is amusing. Get some, uh, presumably some astray pilots watching on a, like a broadcast as well. And she basically starts to say what Kigali was starting to say at the start of the speech of, that sounds pretty appealing, but we shouldn't let ourselves get caught in the trap of his words as we see Mira's had a breakdown now that the cameras aren't on her anymore. Like I said, she had like a hero worship thing for Lacus and was constantly told Lacus would be helping us. And Lacus is just totally refuting that. So her whole worldview just got the rug pulled out from underneath it. I think to some extent we're going to see this in a second. Atherin also basically said he's just going to ditch you once he's done with you. And I think she might be having that realization now. And she outright told Atherin, I'm Lacus Klein. And so there are also identity issues there. And so Jabril's like, hey, I've never heard of this girl before. We should get her phone number. We should figure out how to get her on our side. Right? And she's like, also, Jabril sucks, and we should probably yeah, murder I him before he space lasers <laughs> the colonies or something. I, I love that. And he just, like, he looks shocked, like, wait, what? You, how do you hate? You, you can't hate both of us. I don't know what Jabril is supposed to be thinking here. Like, has he never heard of Lacus Klein? Is he that removed from everything? It that doesn't, doesn't seem reasonable. You're right. It doesn't make a lot of sense that he would be even thinking, oh, yeah, Lacus Klein will totally help me. And it's not like she was an insignificant personage in the last war. She was literally part of the alliance that helped end the last war. Shipperl's very disconnected. Also, he's a space racist, so probably he doesn't pay attention to space pop culture. The twist you can kind of take on it is he assumes this is the fake Lacus Klein. But that also makes him look like an idiot. Uh, well, I hadn't um, thought of that, but you're right. Like That could be a takeaway that's intended. I don't think that's intended by the writing. That's just me sort of shifting my head and trying to figure out how does he think, oh, yes, this Lacus Klein will help me. Also, she probably wants to murder all coordinators. Especially since she's now standing in with Kigali, who was literally in the process of saying, 
We think Jabril is a terrible individual. We think Jabril's dumb poopyhead, and he's not allowed in our orb fort anymore. <laughs> um, also, the phase Jabril is making on the frame we pause on looks like he got the wrong order, but he's not sure yet. He's like looking at it, and he's like, is this what I ordered? And that is the amount of his consternation at this. Anyway, Jabril's the devil, but I don't trust Durandal. I like how when she says, but I don't trust Durandal, we actually get a shot of Talia. Like, and she kind of has the expression of, I'm not sure I trust him anymore either. So she ends the speech with saying, we need to investigate the chairman and figure out his true objectives. We should form a council to investigate what he's really up to. So anyway, five stars on iTunes. <laughs> smash that like button. Subscribe. Buy my old album, because I haven't made a new one in two years. But we oh. are working on merch. Get in now. Pre-order. She has. It's only on vinyl, though. So <laughs> <laughs> It's super exclusive. That turns out that's actually what the factory produces. No, that's the factory's cover. So with that, we cut to the opening sequence. It continues to be too slow. I was going to say and too sexy, but honestly, probably the right amount of sexy. It just bothers me the ways in which they've chosen. No, too sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I like how none of us are aghast at the horrible like, drawing of Kigali in Atherin's coat anymore. That never happens either. Nope. Well, it's weird because in that same shot, he's like walking towards the Minerva, but Kisaka is also in there. So what? <laughs> Anyway. So we cut to random people being like, man, which Wackus is the fake? It's like, a lot of different on? people. The first shot we get are those people from the village that Shin uh, did his first trench run to get to and help. Because that was the girl from that was like their contact was yeah. in the foreground of that. We also see some Earth forces being like, ah, oh, should we have just abandoned our country and joined Durundle to murder this guy? I don't know. Cut to Durundle's giant airport window. Where he is talking to someone, telling them to get one more shuttle ready, while Mira's awkwardly locking up like she needs to ask for the bathroom pass, but one of the other students is out, and she knows Mr. Durundle doesn't let more than one person out of the class at the same time. And, like, she tries to apologize and whatnot, and Durundle's just, like, like, he just looks at her, and she gets scared before he gets, like, a smile on his face. Yeah, he is handling this very well, but she has clearly had the fear of God put in her by Atherin. Because he's like, well, that was unexpected. Well, I mean, and at the same time, you got to remember what happened when Atherin basically decided, you know what, I'm done with you. He sent people out to hunt Atherin down and kill him. Yep. And succeeded. And, and as far as she... Yeah, as far as she knows, she wouldn't have any information that Atherin's all is still Well, alive. I'm trying to think of whether or not... No, I don't think she would, because I was trying to think if she would have seen the justice, but she wouldn't necessarily have known was, who was driving it. Because that's probably being kept under wraps but from just the... Hell, we even find out in this episode that even Lunamaria doesn't know who was driving it. Yeah. Shin and Ray are the only people right now that know. Durundle might not even have been told yet. I can believe Ray told him immediately, but he may not know yet. Well, he might not have had the opportunity to talk to him yet. Yeah. Quick email, Gil. By the way. It's alive. <laughs> Injustice Gundam. Please advise. Gonna try murder. <laughs> Didn't work last time. Second time's the charm. As the saying goes. I mean, Kira Yamato's gotta be dead if we kill him that third time, right? Your sweet baby, Ray. <laughs> Thanks. I totally I just had a that. thought of an image of, like, Ray had his, has his helmet, and on, like, you know, the pilots have the, like, the call signs and stuff on him, and it just says baby. sweet baby on it. Aw, <laughs> uh, yeah. And Shin says, I sunk your battleship. Zorindo's like, I was shocked. I'm sure you were too. Sorry, I didn't foresee this. I don't understand how Lacus could not be on our side. I don't know how how this could have happened. I didn't give those assassins enough money. Yeah, I was going to say, clearly I underpaid those guys. 
So we'll just have to adjust our plans a little. Cut back to that village Shin saved where a bunch of people are arguing over which Lacus is real. And I guess everybody has decided the real Lacus is real. It seems like there would be more confusion. But I guess that picture in picture bit really did its job. I I think that might be the case. But going back when Durundle says we have to adjust our plans accordingly... I think that seed that Atherin planted, like, I think Mir thinks <laughs> that Durundle's going to try and kill Lacus because obviously she wouldn't know about the first one, because her expression definitely looks like someone is going to try something violent. I think she's afraid for her own life. I think she just has a fear of Durundle is going to do something to an innocent person. But Durundle would never kill an innocent person. No, he'd pay someone to do it. Oh, that's fair. But I, I do agree <laughs> with you. That there does seem to be an awful lot of people who are immediately like... The real Lacus is definitely the real one, but there is a lot of stuff that would provide evidence to the contrary. Mir acts and dresses a lot differently than the real Lacus, even when she was performing. Oh, I'm sure we already made the joke about how there would definitely be stalker fans on the internet talking about how Lacus Klein must be dead, and they must have replaced her with a new sexy Lacus Klein. <laughs> I mean, that would definitely make sense. Who is that one singer? Paul There's... McCartney? No, 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 the one I was thinking Tupac. of. A- Avril Lavigne. That was the oh. one I was thinking of. Where the conspiracy theory is she died in, like, 2002. I've never heard and of this. the yeah. Avril Lavigne that is currently alive was, like, a stunt double or something. It's basically the same theory as Paula's dead, only on Alpha Lavigne. Okay. So, Jin's contact gets up and is like, hey, Zafter aren't the bad guys. Remember who oppressed us and who liberated us? Alogos and the Alliance are the bad guys, even though Alliance is on our side now. And I love this random guy who's like, yeah, she's right. I am also in leadership position, I guess. Kira's cousin. <laughs> This guy standing up, I, I don't agree with this guy standing up and helping her talk, because like you said, I don't know who this fucker is, but the girl yeah. we've met before, and it kind of seems like him stepping up and being like, yeah, she's right, and seems like it's kind of stealing her thunder. Yeah. As it were, it really feels like, yeah, we're going to take agency away from this girl. I think the intent is people agree with her and stand up with her, but because clearly the point of this scene is to create division, right? It is actually an apt metaphor for our current political situation in America, where some people are like, no, she's the good Lacus Clyde. She's on Zaf's side. She has to be right. Whereas other people are like, no, but she's not the real one. I do like how it gives us a shot of basically, like, for lack of a better term, the women and children of this area. And they all look very on the side of, I don't really care who's, who's who in this case. I don't want any more of my children or husband to die. So cut to Durandal is like, nothing to worry about, Mir. But in the meantime, I want you to say, out of the public eye, where no one will see you if something terrible happens to uh, someone. And she's like, um, that seems, I think I would like to be in, like, the public eye where people can. And she's like, don't worry, I'll make sure you're treated with care. I know everything you did for us. Who is Visor Lady? Uh, she's Mir's new handler. Visor okay. Lady. <laughs> We've she's never Cyclops's seen her before. cousin. No, we have never seen... Uh, Cyclopsa before. Okay. And Mir flashes back to when Atherin was like, you gotta come with me. He's gonna murder you. But he's like, I and the people will never forget your role in helping save the world. And man, if that doesn't sound like a line that is being delivered to somebody who he's going to get rid of, I don't know what does. That definitely sounds like a, I'm going to tie up all the loose ends. So Cyclops' sister is like, come along with me, Miss Lacus. Which has to be, like, a very weird bird to hear. I think it's super on purpose that no one calls her by her name this entire time. And she's the first person to refer to her by a name, which is Lacus. Does Durundle like, ever call her Mir? I don't think so. It helps her not break character. So Durundle's going to Messiah. Just like planned, I'm going to Messiah. So have the Alliance done anything near the moon? 
And they're like, not yet. And he's like, huh, is that so? And he's like, well, the world's full of surprises, but we've already come this far. It's too late to stop now. Cut to the Minerva where people are like, what's going on? And are speculating about even if she wasn't real. Ray gets real upset and kind of storms out of the lounge. And Shin is like, I guess I should go follow my friend. And Luna's like, well, I guess I have to follow my boyfriend. Uh, we're just uh, hanging out. I, I do like, I'm pretty sure that Ray knows the truth about Mir, right? I would think so, but I don't know that we ever find that out for sure. I also don't think he particularly cares, although I do really like how uh, Talia comes onto the bridge right after that, after, you know, Ray pulls the string and drags Luna, Mario, and Shin off the, like, lounge area. Talia enters the bridge, and someone's like, Captain, and her immediate reaction is, I don't know either. I actually really love this scene, where she's like, the one thing I do know is we don't take orders from Lacus Klein. <laughs> Which, hey, technically correct. Maybe you should. Join. It's worked out well for people who have, historically speaking. And you do have a battleship that would be very handy for the Three Ships Alliance. A little bit of an upgrade over the Kusanagi. Although I do wonder, has the shell-firing cannon been repaired yet? I have no idea what the timeline on this is. That... I assume it must have been before the end of this episode. Uh, maybe? It's just weird, because that would take a lot of effort to fix, because Moo hit that thing dead on, that turret is toast. They just made another one, and they just lift out the old one and put in the new one. I mean, that that's kind of how old-style battleship cannons sat in the ring. That's why when they capsized, they all just fell out. <laughs> but I don't think that would really work on a spaceship. Space. <laughs> magnets. Oh, yep, nope. I approve of the magnet theory. So they got a message from Fleet Headquarters. It says, as soon as you get to Cometaria, take off and join the Lunar Fleet. And Arthur's like, what? we're off to space now. The reason why I'm really curious if they fixed it is because... It gives me the impression that they haven't actually reached a base after the attack on Orb. So when would they have had opportunity to repair the cannons? I guess we'll see when they fire them or don't fire them. Or people forgot continuity, so we'll never know. They're usually pretty good about that in Gundam Seed, though. And Destiny. That's fair. Except for the fact that the, uh, what's it called, the Lohengrin doesn't seem to exist in Destiny. Well, maybe they took it out when they were going to turn it into a cruise ship. They were like, missile ports, fine. Giant lasers, okay. Valiants, hell yeah. Mm, this is semi-nuclear laser cannon. Nah, maybe make, this is stretching things a little bit. Gotta make room for the pool. Is that what they took out in order to get their hot spring? <laughs> um, they were actually using it to heat the hot yeah, spring. It perfectly simulates like a volcanic spring by having the water <laughs> run under where the Lohengrins used to be. <laughs> so Shin's like, hey, Ray, wait up. And he's like, what? He's like, well, uh... What do you think about the Lacus Klein situation? You're clearly the only person I can trust, Ray. You've made sure that you are the only person whose opinion I will listen to. It's like, what are you even talking about, Shin? And he's like, well, which one do you think is real? As Luna remembers that time that she saw Lacus Klein talk to Atherd. And Kira mentioned that there was a fake Lacus. But decides now is not the time to bring it up. Honestly, that makes a bit of sense, because number one, Talia told her to forget about it. And number two, like, Shin's already kind of loopy, and if she were to tell him, yeah, I followed Atherin at some point, then Shin would probably throw it, throw a fit. <laughs> and Ray's like, this is ridiculous. It's clearly psychological warfare. Does she ever bring it up? N not as far as I know. Not that I remember. <laughs> and I mean, Ray isn't necessarily wrong here, even though I don't 
really think the intention was to throw him for a loop by sowing confusion by being like, yes, we have a Lacus too. We have the real Lacus. If you're going to lie about it, this is clearly the best lie to go with, though. Yeah, I'm just saying, I don't think that was Lacus and Kira's intention to th- confuse so people. Descent. At least not throw the, the ranks into confusion, more of to throw a scare into Durundle, I think was more of the intent. On the other hand, sowing dissent in the ranks and getting people to defect is Lacus's entire MO. That's true. That is definitely how she formed her army in the last series. And she's like, oh, that Shinoska guy's pretty good. I think we can get him. What do you think, Atherin? Do you think if I put on, do the pigtails and I meet him in a theater and ask him about his medals, he doesn't seem to love getting them? Maybe I can do a little Dead Sister puppet show? Too far? <laughs> I really want to see Lacus with a sock puppet. <laughs> I feel like it'd be more apt because Lacus is a pretty good judge of character. And Atherin kind of is too. I feel like Atherin would probably say something more along the lines of get Lunamaria, she'll get Shin. No, you clearly have to make Shin angry at the Rundle. Yeah. I was actually thinking through most of this sequence here with Ray that this would actually also be a pretty good spot to for following along with what we were talking about last week. If they wanted to flip Shin mm. it, in the series, this would be another place to bring it up because he does think about Atherin at some point in here. In Super Robot Wars Z, which the voice actor for Shin Asuka has said is the story he prefers for Shin, this is the moment where he leaves the Minerva. He and Luna are like, no, let's go with protagonist. And Ray is like, well, I must murder you. It's like, but Ray, we're friends. You're against the chairman. You must die. Oh, so he says something in Z and they're like, well, we're going to leave now? Yeah, but, well, basically it's just this. And they're like, well, yeah, Durandal is kind of sketch. Also, there are space aliens attacking and, you know, all the other stuff that happens in the Super Robot War. So, <laughs> so Ray's like, well, it's well thought out, I have to say at least. But why? Why do people think that which one's real is the important thing? Is the real one right about everything? Which I really like from Ray, who must have thoughts about this all the time. And then he says in the impersonator is evil. And I'm like, uh, they're not asking if they're evil or not. People are generally just saying that if you're making an impersonator, you're probably doing something sketch. Yeah, but as someone who has no choice but to be an impersonator, his uh, view on this is going to be a bit skewed. And he goes on to say, it doesn't matter to me. Like, even if she's not the real Lacus Klein, I believe everything she said. Her methods don't matter. It's all about the end. Results. And whether or not Durundle said that they were the things we should be doing. It just says the chairman is right. Uh, do you mind giving me a source on that? Can I get a citation? Because so far he hasn't said whatever his fucking ideals are. I mean, he wrote them in a book for Lacus Klein to find, for DaCosta to find. In a abandoned spaceship and give to Lacus Klein so Kira can read it. He's right. Uh, about what exactly? So far, all he's really done is dox some people and invade an innocent country. He told them to go destroy the Destroy Gundam and then took credit for it. That's the other thing that got me there is because, you know, Shin or Lunamaria says Shin and they both look very, like, Ray's kind of lost it, hasn't he? But Shin follows him anyway. Right into this room is like, well, what else are we going to do? The other thing that made me think of like, this would be the flip point is when Ray's like, okay, we need to figure out how to kill <laughs> Atherin, Atherin and Kira. And Luna Maria's like, wait, is that doesn't, does that mean Marin's alive? And like, they both look so excited over this idea. You know, Shin basically is like, wait, does that mean I didn't murder your sister and my, one of my best friends? 
you are getting ahead of it because I absolutely I love that Shin sits down and all he can think about is the ghost of Athrun Zala attacking him. And he is having a mental breakdown over this. Well, yeah, because he had thought he had basically gotten himself over killing Athrun, or at least he told himself he had. And Lunamaria is like, ah, oh, you clearly need comfort, Shin. What's wrong? And Ray's like, we have no time for petty human physiology. We must murder Athrun Zala. I am now creating Destroy the Justice Simulator 2.0. <laughs> I feel like you also need Destroy the Freedom 2.0 because that one mobile suit took you both to school. Yeah, he says the Freedom and Athrun Zala. Like, I don't really know why... Actually, I kind of know why Ray would say this. It's because he's trying to basically uh, inure Shin to the idea of you got to kill Athrun again. And the freedom is just the freedom. Like, they didn't necessarily know who was driving it in the first place. Yeah, you could be like Kira Yamato and Athrun Zala, and they'd be like, who? Who's Kira <laughs> Yamato? So Luna's like, what are you talking about? And Ray, uh, so like, yeah, I like how he's yelling at Shin, because Shin has not told her yet. And it's kind of important. I do love that, that she just starts yelling at Shin about it. To be fair, I feel like he hasn't had a whole lot of time to just sit down and chat with anyone. No, they did have that moment in the ready room where he was clearly composing himself, but I think this is Shin is absolutely not ready to talk about well, this. And yet. I think he's still trying to come to terms with the idea himself, that the guy he thought he killed isn't dead. He's in that same place Athrun was right after Athrun tried to kill Kira. So Luna's like, well, fine, I'm not going to tell you about the real Lacus Klein then. As Ray is like, yeah, I took a picture of his cool new robot. And Luna's like, wait, does that mean Mayrin's alive? And I read this as Shin being like, oh shit, I killed Mayrin. I had actually managed to forget about that. <laughs> I get the feeling that, because the way he reacts when Luna Maria says, is Mayrin alive? He does have the reaction of, I killed her too, but if Atherin's alive, does that mean Mayrin is alive and I'm basically absolved of trying to kill her? See, I don't read that. I read this as 100% Shin just living in his mistakes. As someone who, with the anxiety, has done that before and been like, God, what a fucking idiot past Jeremy is. I can't believe that I want to kill myself. That is the face Shin is making right now. Whereas Luna is like, oh my God, is my sister alive? And Ray's like, I don't know, but if she is, she's on the Archangel, so we have to kill her. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Shin isn't assuming that, that Mayrin survived in the way Atherin did. He's just assuming that Atherin got lucky, basically. So, updated plan. Freedom. Atherin Zala. Mayrin Hawk. I do love how... When, before we leave that scene, Luna Maria is, like, staring at Shin, and Shin can't look at her. It's a good tableau. Because it, it, it's like, Luna Maria seems like she has hope on her face, and Shin just can't look at her because he can't bring himself to break the bad news that he doesn't even know is true. Yeah. And meanwhile, Ray's just working on that simulator. Yep. Gotta murder Atherin Zala. <laughs> Turns out, stabbed to the chest doesn't work. So there's a glory shot of the Minerva taking off from the water. And a close-up of Gladys before we cut to space! The beam deflection station, station ground plus? Gonid. Gonid. Oh, okay, wow, I way misread that. We get some nice techno babble about mirror reflectors and critical deviation. And a look at something labeled the Interstrategic Directions Destruction Cannon Requiem. I think I added a few words in there, <laughs> but... So, a military guy's... Jabril is next to you, like, are you seriously thinking about firing this? And he's like, absolutely. Why else do you think I would come up here to the fucking moon? And he's like, good. I'm so tired of politicians spending billions of dollars on weapons and be like, uh, deterrence. And then when we're in a war, they don't even fire them. What do you even pay me for? And Jabril's like, I didn't really want your life story here. I just want to fire my death laser. Can we please get on with that? 
Well, he specifically is like, no, I'm not a coward like the president or a dreamer like Rundle. I will fire this giant death laser when I need to to protect somebody. I forgot who we're protecting. My fortune? My fortune. <laughs> I will definitely fire this thing at innocent civilians. That won't do anything besides enrage my opponents and make them want my blood even more. To be fair, he tries to kill all his opponents. He misses. <laughs> That would just enrage the rest of the plants. You would have the entire population of the plants gunning for you. Not that you don't already have that. Do you think Jabril had a Scrooge McDuck money pit back at his original mansion? 100%, yes. I feel like he has the whole, like, maudlin TV set up with a cat. What happened to his cat? We saw it in Orb. We saw one of the Orb soldiers with its handler. Yeah, I remember that. There's just a no-cats policy in this <laughs> laser <the> station. <laughs> One of them that was supposed to be handling it accidentally, in heavy quotes, at lost track of it, and they spaced it on the way. Yeah, no pets on the moon. So we see a Nazca class, specifically it's Izak's, launching Izak in a shiny new guff that's painted in his colors, as well as a bunch of Zakus. Diarka has switched from the gunner pack to a blaze pack, because he was tired of being stereotyped as the ranged combat guy. And ironically, this is probably a moment in which having the heavier weapon would have made a lot more sense. So, Isaac's like, we don't know what they're doing out here, but we can conclude they're not a friendly delegation. So, What tipped you engaged. off on that after they started shooting at you? I think, I think he's being flippant. Probably. Cut to Durandal reading reports about something weird happening in space. He's like, I specifically asked about the moon, and she said no. And they're like, the Alliance is moving like a old colony out there it's not technically within our defense zone so it took us a while to respond but it is heading for us so we sent the jewel team their main ish characters they were veterans of the last war so and the chanis team is also there no one cares about them whoever that is anyway they're engaging their escort fleet and we see a picture of the second deaths i mean messiah <laughs> and the rundle has this weird smile that again, I'm not sure if we're supposed to think that this is all going to Durundle's plan. I don't think it is, given some of his reactions later. I don't know what to read from that smile either. It's, it's weirdly out of place, in my opinion. I read it that he had secret plans for the Messiah. Then he's like, yes, now I can finally do whatever this thing does. That tracks because we get a similar smile from him at the end of the episode. And here we get the eye catch. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in on your digital devices to this not-a-radio station to listen to us talk about episode 43 of Destiny. It just occurred to me that the joke that I used last week would have actually been excellent for this episode, uh, which is the poorly named Lacus Times 2. I don't know that I have a whole lot in particular to get to in terms of programming notes and stuff, so hey... Here's a quick plug for Jumpstart Weekly, the podcast that Jeremy and Kevin do. Last week's episode was on the Labyrinth of Magic, which was actually fairly interesting for me. Why don't you go give it a listen and see if you agree? Also, a plug for our Patreon.com slash Lost Podcasts, where we put up a bunch of, like, other random stuff. Not all of it's mecha-related, but as I say that, I realize the last couple things we recorded were definitely mecha-related. We're gearing up to maybe record the next EVA movies, and also try to get some not-necessarily-just-Gundam-related stuff up on there if that's not your jam. But I think that's all I had this week, so hey, let's get back to the rest of the episode, which has nothing to do with the fact that there are two Lacuses. And cut back to that colony stopping with reverse thrusters. And he's actually like, what are they stopping out here for? So we get some more techno babble right after that. 480 seconds to criticality. Yarka also wants to know what they're doing. And he's actually like, I don't know, but let's go blow up the engines. 
I mean, it seems to me that they're moving this thing for a reason, so destroying this thing would probably be a better idea. Yeah, or, like, moving it, like... I mean, that would be my thought of, like, I don't know what this thing is here for, but... Let's shoot Although, at it. the same time, they might not have the firepower necessarily to destroy something this big. That is fair. It is very large. Because if we assume it's only those two teams, that would mean, like, two Nazca class and then two teams worth of Zakus not necessarily equipped with heavy weapons. We do see if some heavy gunner Zakus are enough to take it out eventually. I read this more as Izak assumes they stopped because the battle has started, and not... This is where we wanted to put our colony, in bumfuck nowhere space. <laughs> well, when we see it destroyed later, it's not only those heavy weapon Zakus, it's literally like a fleet is also attacking it. Cut to Durandal's like, anything new on that floating colony? And they're like, uh, no, but we told the Jolt team to stop it. And Durandal's like, that seems good. That is almost exactly what he says, too. In the dub, he literally says, that's fine. So, general guys like Jabril... Where is our target? And he's like, Aprilis, obviously. This is not a warning shot. We are going to murder the plant government and then the rest of the plants. I mean, that does make some sense to cut the head off the snake, as it were. But at the same time, like... Nobody's tried to nuke Washington before. Yeah, depending on where their government is as a general rule. Like, are they always on that one plant, or do they get dispersed? I feel like they probably have, like, Senate breaks or something, right? But they might be in session, and that would be pretty easy to know. Yeah. Durandal, we know, is up on his super-secret space fortress, but Jabril doesn't know that. So, yeah, it's a Death Star. It starts charging. No, the correct line is, that's no moon. That's a moon! This is the episode that the top comment on Crunchyroll is, I love how Jabril's plan is just getting progressively larger and larger guns. <laughs> Accurate. The weapon's trigger just, like, <laughs> pops out of a console. Look, this was designed with maximum drama in mind. And Jabril is like, fuck you, Durundle, I'm gonna play a Requiem for you and your kind. See what I did there? <laughs> I actually like, it. it shows him pulling a trigger three times, and that makes a lot of sense to me with something like this. That's probably a safety to make sure it can't be fired by accident. Yeah, well, considering it just nukes an entire space station, it's definitely not the thing. It goes you... through multiple space stations. Yeah, it's not a thing you want to fire off into space without knowing what you're firing at. Yeah, I just like the attention to detail there, that it actually shows him basically disengaging the thing's safety before firing it. Alternatively, final flash! That beam came from the moon. Says one of the Zaft <laughs> guys to Durundle, who is like, wait a minute, did I activate their trap card? <laughs> what do you mean they fired it from the moon? And Isaac is like, um, get out of the way. Move, bitch. I don't know what this is, but get out of the way. It does seem like it's pretty like narrow of a beam. So is it just if you're in the zone when it passes through the curve, would it? do you think it would do damage to the electronics on board a mobile suit or something? Yeah, well, I mean, it's probably radiating it. Like, a laser that size would have some powerful thermal effects, if nothing else. We do see it is larger than these battleships for scale. So it is still pretty big, even though it does look thin for a giant death laser. Why well, uh, more of was putting it in context with when it was passing through the colony. We also know that EMP shielding is now very standard on all mobile suits because of that EMP attack that Zaft used in the first war. But yeah... Isaac is like moved, so they move out of the way. And I do actually really like the mechanics of how this beam fires through multiple colonies to slowly bend. And then it hits a colony. And another colony. A and another colony. Specifically. We see it hit three of them. 
I do love the destruction here. It is a little gratuitous, but I think that is on purpose. I'm pretty sure some of this is reused animation from Heliopolis and Junius 7. I was thinking the same thing. I think this shot in particular is Junius 7. Yeah, but that's fine. We haven't seen that in forever. And And it, it, like, falls into another colony, or one of the destroyed ones falls into another colony and wrecks it, too. And I want to say this looks really good, but what I mean it is impeccably animated. It is, yeah. No, I mean, it looks horrible, but it looks great. And Durundle looks shocked, which, again, makes me think this can't be his plan, despite some expressions he makes at different points. Yeah, like, he, he looks just absolutely flabbergasted at this. He's like, oh no, but I had Pot of Greed for next turn. And he quickly goes to anger from that, of like, tell me what the fuck just happened. Where did they attack from? The animation and expression on his face when he's demanding where the attack came from is fantastic. So damage report, Januarius 1 through 4 have been directly hit, and December 7 and 8 have collapsed from colliding. With Januarius 4 specifically. And they're like, Januarius, that is not who we shot. But That's then three they, months away. But then they uh, basically get the information that says there was a slight deviation in the angle of the focusing colony that Izak and Diarka are attacking. And presumably because they hit the thing's engines, they threw it just enough out of angle that it threw off their aim. And so, so Izak and Diarka are just absolutely dumbstruck at this. I love how Izak immediately goes to anger. He's like, wait, I remember what to do. Get mad and destroy that. And I like how Diarka goes into, like, basically analysis, and right after that, Izak is, we're wrecking that shit now. Well, he just have the good point of, if they shoot again, the plants are done. Yep. So it's logically driven anger. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not like, oh no, you shouldn't be doing that. It makes perfect sense. It's just one of those things, I absolutely love him doing that. It's that immediate reaction of, we're wrecking this now. I actually do love this Gladys running, uh, uh, like the commissioner just called her, from the... Well, because someone literally did yell for her. Yeah. And presumably somebody moved something along to basically bring her out, like, we, you're needed on the bridge now? Millie has the uh, unfortunate job of telling Maru, but everybody else just sees it on the TV. That I guess they just left on in Atherin's room. Well, I, I like the difference here, because Kira, Lacus, and Atherin all kind of look like I can't believe somebody did that, but more of have the expression of abstract. Since they haven't been to the plants in two years, well, Atherin's been there more recently, but it's not like he really had anybody living there that he really cared about in the first place at this point. And Mirror's like, my cousin was on and that one. Yeah, Mirror just looks Mayron. absolutely, Mirren looks yeah. absolutely horrified. Yeah. Because to her, it's not an abstract situation. I do love that we get all sorts of reactions. Like, Newman looks like, eh, never like the coordinators, honestly. I, I mean, the, the way he's standing, but at the same time, it's like, well, we're back to this shit. Luna has a very similar look, to the point where I wonder if they have relatives on January. I, we know it's at least somebody did, because somebody screams here in the background. Yeah, and we actually see them being comforted. Luna is just, like, hanging on to Shin. I really love how they fade the color from everybody but Shin and Luna for a moment here, as Luna is got a death grip on him. And Jen is like, how could this happen? And Ray is like, it's Jabril as color comes back. So Izak and Diarka blow up some ships. They're good at that. I know we've gotten that shot of the yep. uh, bridge getting wrecked. But like you said, it's been a while since we had it. So All the Nazi-Klask unload. I love this like bombing squad of Gunner Zaku's I- all firing at the same time to start carving it apart. I really do like that shot. It's really well done. And success. They got rid of a moon laser. And over this, Ray is explaining the moon laser plan, which weirdly to me reads as him knowing about this in advance. I'm sure the intended reading is, 
Ray has figured this out quickly, especially since we see him typing at his laptop like he's Akira Yamato. That would make sense. And it does also kind of make sense. It's the, uh, hey, look over here when I'm actually over on the other side. Yeah. And, and Luna makes the obvious, or asks the obvious question. How did they fire from the backside of the moon? And Ray's like, techno babble. And of course, like always, we were watching the front of the near side of the moon for their force movement. We didn't even notice. And it's like, it's diabolically genius. With this system, they can shoot anywhere they want. Ray is like, how could they do this? And Ray's like, it's all our fault for letting Jabril get away. To try and manipulate Shin more. I can see this as a genuine... Him thinking that? Yeah, but I don't think that is what it is. I can see a person thinking this way. I think I would think this way in this situation. But I think this is Ray being like, shit, and it's because you didn't murder Athrun Zala and get to Jabril. I mean, like, honestly, Shin's like, letting him get away? But Athrun got in the way, and I, my first thought was just, you know, this is actually Durundal's fault for starting an actual war and making him bolt. I think the plan was for Jabril to leave and go to the moon to shoot this laser anyway. Because we see him meeting with Unatu like, I must get to the moon before <laughs> the uh, Zap forces are. Yeah, in, but when they, position. because they took their time and amassed this whole fleet, he bolted early. And Luna failed that shot, so she can't be feeling good about this either. Well, I mean, let's be entirely honest. It's also because uh, Ray didn't let her be on the field initially. Maybe if she'd already been on the field, then she would have been able to arrive in time. She yep. could have at least asked, hey, Atherin, is Mayron okay? And he could have been like, yeah, I protected her when Ray told Shin to murder me. And I feel like I Luna her... would be like, hmm, I feel like maybe I'm on Shin's side. <laughs> I'm definitely not on Ray's side. I kept Mayron alive when Ray literally told Shin to murder us after I asked him to let me offload Mayron somewhere. <laughs> yeah, after he unpersoned her. Yeah, that would actually be a really good thing to say to uh, Luna Maria to get her to flip. I do actually really like we cut to the bridge of the Minerva where Gladys is giving a speech about, oh, I know we're all fucking exhausted, but it literally does not matter if we don't make a difference here. If we don't do something, we don't have a home to come back to. Yeah. Anyway, I guess the Minerva can just go to space. They kind of like did away with it. They kind of did away with the idea of needing those uh, elevators. Yeah, I mean, or the roller coasters. This is fine to me because we see everything that takes off with rocket boosters. I assume the roller coasters are just way, way cheaper. Like if you need to send a lot of ships to space, you don't need to make new rocket boosters for everything. I do feel like if you are doing this, though, everybody should be strapped in, not just <laughs> sitting on a couch. I mean, anti gravity, gravity. And then Atherin is like, this is exactly what happened with Genesis. This we, is what my genocide. This is what my dad did. I hate my dad. And Kira's like, I'm sure nobody wanted this. Well, that's objectively not true. Because somebody built this. it. Jabril and that asshole general wanted this. So Lacus is like, yeah, remember the theme of Gundam Seed? It's still true. Only now we're like only side involved, so we can't stop it by throwing a freedom Gundam at it. No, see, the only problem that you guys are having when it comes to the whole breaking the cycle of people being fired upon is you're not efficient enough at getting rid of your enemies. So yeah, we get a very long lack of speech. I want it to mean something, but it kind of doesn't. It feels like it's just filling time because we are using flashbacks to animate over all of it. Black is like, the chairman probably has a solution, though. Allow me to, uh, welcome to Durundle's TED Talk. Since Durundle could not be here today, guest speaker Kira Yamato and Lackis Klein will be <laughs> presenting his ideas. From his notebook. And I just, this seems like such a bad way to me to reveal what Durundle's plan is. Yeah, it's not exceptionally clear that this is well, where it, they're getting this information. or From the notebook. Yeah, I, I mean, got, obviously. I can't remember that. the turtle graph. <laughs> I just... When they're going over this, everyone always 
actually more seems like they're on board with this idea. I have a ton of problems with this scene. One is that in my memory, Durundle is giving a speech about his plan on network TV while they're having this discussion, which is not true. That is just my memory playing tricks on me, which is a little better because then you could cut between Durundle saying things and Lacus and Kira saying things. And it's a more dynamic dialogue sequence. Yeah. Whereas instead, all we get is a- sad Atherin while Lacus and Kira finish each other's sentences like that creepy couple. And they're like, so what would a world without conflict look like? A world where everyone's place is predetermined by their genes, most likely. I like how the person who looks the most horrified is the guy sitting behind Millie. <laughs> and Kira's like, anyway, that's the destiny plan. And Atherin's like, yeah, that tracks with what he told me. Like, everybody would have their role decided when they were born, and then anyone who didn't fit would be adjusted. I like how Atherin's flashback there begins with him kicking a soldier in the head. I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? Well, because he's a good soldier, so he would have been a soldier Ah, under, regardless ah. of what he would have chosen. I was just thinking about how he adjusted that soldier's face. We get some Neo Roanoke thinking about those kids he gaslighted for a living to this, which I kind of like. I really wish this series explored what Neo Roanoke thinks about his side flip more. Yeah, especially because, like like you said, he gets this shot of the kids that are basically in exactly this boat that they're talking about. Yeah, but when it comes to, are you with us, Neo? He's like, yeah, I like to do impulsive things. He's more Moo than Neo at this point, which is, like, on the one hand, Moo is great. On the other hand, we don't have enough out of what exactly is going on in his head i mean he's kind of mixed up at the moment it's mostly he could be a much more interesting character than they're letting him be right now yeah because they all expect him to do move things so if he does neo things that becomes interesting yeah they're like oh yeah if they already had their destiny decided they wouldn't live with suffering and i'm like uh that's not exactly how that works i as someone who is a 15 year old with no idea what they wanted to do with their life when he watched this this seemed like a very compelling plan to me also as a Rundle who presented his entire thesis to a group full of teenagers, that also probably seems like a reasonable plan to him. Maybe he wrote this notebook when he was a teenager, and this is no (laughs) longer his plan remotely. I don't know. I really just wish this sci-fi concept got explored more, because the biggest thing that bothers me about this scene, as Zach gets into, is it seems like they're playing in the space with this idea, and then they're all like, oh, but we're the good guys and he's the bad guy, so we have to stop it. I don't know why Kira Yamato is against this idea. Especially when he goes to, he makes, brings up the very excellent point of, this is the logical conclusion to coordinators. We can manipulate people's genes, so why not create people for specific tasks and jobs? He doesn't really elucidate why he's against it. His entire life has been kind of anti that, though, ever since he got into the mobile suit. Yeah, but like, he was created to be the ultimate soldier and ended up being that. Yeah, okay, fair. Oops. He kind of tripped into that as it were but that was definitely what he was originally designed for that's a good point yeah as bad as the rest of this whole thing is i do like lacus's like sympathy look towards kira here that you paused on and derundle's point is hey if kira had been raised from the beginning hey you're gonna be a warrior you gotta learn to kill people you gotta learn to be okay with this he wouldn't have those questions he wouldn't have the doubts he would be better equipped to cope at the very least but under derundle's plan he explicitly would have never met lacus klein so that is also true And also, Kira is the most like this because he is the most design coordinator. So, like, there's lots of stuff there, but I don't feel like the series actually plays with it. Especially for, like, Kira to decide and all that. But, like you said, they don't really go into why any of them are against this. And as I said, my biggest problem is, like, this sounds like a great idea, but we hate Durundle, so we're going to attack him. Also, it would fall apart pretty quickly, I think. 
Yeah, and I think that's definitely a problem when you look at this from an, uh, a view outside of it. But I have problems within the world even before that. That were, when I was younger watching this, were more my issues. Even though I agree with you, how do you enforce this rule? This is my problem with the ending of Code Geass. Is I feel like two minutes after Lelouch died, everyone goes, well, that was weird. Anyway, back to what we were doing. <laughs> but Lacus is like, yeah, there would be no striving to do better. So battles would be meaningless because everyone would know you just do what you have to do. With a sufficiently authoritarian governing force becomes true, I suppose. So opposing to Rundle for that reason, like if they brought up the problem with communism here, which is that somebody ends up becoming the dictator in every communist situation just because of human nature. Someone is more equal than others. Yeah. Which they kind of allude to because they're like, what's the Rundle's role? Is he going to be king? High priest? And Maru points out that Destiny would be king or the genes, but he'd be the high priest. Deciding who gets to be Shinoska and who gets to be Mir Campbell and who has to be Tomato Hair. Yeah, and now we get some meaningless psychobabble to set up Moo's line, where Kira's like, would it be meaningless? Where Moo LaFlaga, because he's not Neo Roanoke in this moment, goes, well, you never do anything meaningless? Which I really like as a point, but it's a good point to a better conversation. <laughs> it's like the best written part of this terrible conversation. I spend plenty of time just doing absolutely nothing. I feel like Neo Roanoke hasn't, though, so... And then it's kind of like Atherin is talking in an entirely different conversation... Because he just out of nowhere says, I'm not the type of person who gives up easily. And I just have the feeling of everybody looking at him going, uh, not sure where that came from. I kind of get it because they're talking about how struggling would be pointless. And that would be because people would give up. And he's like, I'm not that sort of person. But I also agree. It does seem a little non sequitur. But Kara's like, yeah, I know. And Kigali's like, I haven't had a line this entire episode because <laughs> the writer is mad at my voice actress. Me too. Kigali, Kigali. And I do kind of like this part when Neo's like, I guess me too, while looking at Maru, like, that seems like something that Mulafaga guy is, right? It's like, oh yeah, his motto is, I'm the guy who makes the impossible possible. <laughs> I love how cute <laughs> Mayrin of, like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a main character now. <laughs> I'm on board with this idea. Well, she's on board the ship of main characters. And Kara's just like, let's go back to space, Atherin, so you can heal. There are only seven episodes left, Atherin. We have to go to space. And he's like, Kira... Does this mean it's time for the bro hand clasp? <laughs> we, have to we have to defeat the chairman. Never mind the super weapon. Yeah, never mind that interesting philosophical slash science fiction idea conversation we have. This is all about stopping that guy. He's a jerk. Kira, fly me to the I, moon. I do kind of like the, the animation on the bro hand clasp here, but... So then we get a shot of the second death messiah. And Chairman Durundal is at complete peace in Emperor Palpatine's throne room. The, yeah, the like, final shot of his face, he looks like he's about to be a Final Fantasy boss right before he grows wings and a snake head. Durundal! What is that speech? Durundal! <laughs> what is a man of miserable pile yeah. of secrets? The same could be said for all religions. He's giving off that vibe. Especially with what we know his plans are. And that's the end of the episode. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I like most of the episode, but that ending is, like, kind of the nutshell of why I don't like Gundam Seed Destiny, and particularly its ending. Because I think that's a super interesting, like, government proposal. And I think you could do a lot with examining it, and why it's bad, and why in some ways it's good. And it would be interesting if maybe people like Shin and Rei were on the legitimate side of that, but they don't know what the plan is, so they can't well, be. Especially it if you take into account... That the plants already have kind of a version of this with their breeding program. 
But with like their arranged marriage thing, they already have a version of this. So like Talia left him specifically so she could have a kid. So she was a part of this whole like arranged marriage thing. Well, it's like Kira said, it's the ultimate destiny of coordinators. Right. Well, and it's down the road from where they already are. Yeah. So it, going into this bit more, would it be better if the chairman's plan was better? Or do you just feel like they should have expounded on his plan earlier and had him like actually present this as an idea? I, my biggest problem is that they're all forgetting the mass murder that just happened. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm ignoring that for the te- for the time being temporarily, just like the characters are. That's just a Gundam super weapon thing. I'm specifically asking about this part because it kind of lies at the whole heart of the backstory for Durundle and his, like, motivation. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the mass murder that just happened. Uh, even I, I will get to your question in a sec. But I think of this scene in isolation a lot. And it is even worse when they should be like, okay, Durundle's a bad guy, clearly. Jabril just murdered a million people, so we should go stop him real quick and then worry about that. Yeah, uh, that's that's my problem with that part, too. But to answer your question, Zach, I just wish the, wish the series explored it more. I think even introducing it here is fine, but as lo- you have to introduce it to more characters, and we need the series to actually engage in what would this mean? What does this mean to different characters? Are there some people in the Klein faction that actually think this is a good plan, but want to stop the Rundle anyway, because they don't trust him to carry it out? I actually think that Seed grappled with a similarly weighty topic as presented by Rao, but, like, the difference is they spent a lot more time on it, and they let all the characters think about it and, like, have nuanced opinions about it. Like, out of, Seed did a way better job handling this. Well, it wasn't just fa- the Rao thing, because they also had the racist thing from the beginning that they yeah. were working with. And to be fair, we do have seven more episodes of Destiny. Six in the original run. They bought themselves an extra episode. But that's, like, when is the point where Rao explains his whole deal? It's pretty late in the game. Yeah, but, like, wait, we wait, as the in- audience kind of know it beforehand. Well, we don't really know it, but we know what Rao is like as a person because we've seen him act throughout the whole thing. Yeah, let me rephrase that. We know his ethos. Like, we know what his proposed solution to this problem is. And it's absolute anarchy. And obviously, not a great solution. And the Rundle stuff has been seeded a little bit, right? I told you to pay attention to that speech he gives Atherin about unfortunate people because he's kind of tipping his hand there. You kind of have to know where the destination is to see that. But it is at least foreshadowed. It's kind of there. I think... The fact that it's Lacus and Kira putting words in his mouth also makes this weaker. Like, if this was him explaining it to Talia or somebody while they're explaining it, and you cut between them. Like I said, it's a way more dynamic scene, and it gets a lot more characters involved. And I still feel like they kind of made the mistake of making it sound like Kira and them are on board with the plan. (laughs) Yeah, and that's my biggest problem, is it seems like, oh man, that plan's great. We have to kill that guy. And take his plan. <laughs> and the movie's going to be about us enforcing the plan. Do you think that might be a problem of the script itself? Or is that a problem of the voice actors putting the wrong emphasis on things? I mean, there's also a director to blame in that case. I think it's a script problem. This is also, I was considering talking about it early or in the episode, but it didn't seem real appropriate to bring up yet. And there's a lot of hearsay involved, and I should probably do more research on it. But this is about the time where Shin and Kigali's voice actors were having their roles drastically cut because they were criticizing the main writer on social media for her failure to get scripts out in time after that last clip episode had to happen. So we're now sort of in the part of the pipeline where that's starting to take effect. For whatever reason, I always thought it was earlier than that when Shin's character all seems to fall off. But like here, like we said, Shin's actually, his internal struggles are one of the high points of this and the last episode. Definitely. Any other further thoughts on this last thing before we move on to high points and low points? I'd be interested in how Durundle 
practically thought to carry this out because it seems like a multi-generational plan we have seven more episodes okay fair i guess there's maybe some sort of technology that he i don't know i mean you have to start the revolution somewhere tyler that is true i just don't know what it is kill all not space i guess i don't really know what his like i don't know how he's trying to affect this plan and i don't feel like the show has done a good job telling us what he's going to do i mean even at this point is this his plan for one year from now 10 years from now 20 years from now? Never? Was it just like a weird rambling that he had one time and he doesn't actually plan to follow through with it? It was a college project. That he, he got had to come super up with baked with Raul Crusade. He was like, man, nihilism's <laughs> one thing, man. But have you thought about genes, man? <laughs> have you thought about, like, nihilism, but, like, everyone's still alive? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and he wrote it all down without realizing that their initial topic had been talking about denim genes. <laughs> Do you have a high point, Tyler? Yes, I think it's actually going to just be all the picture-in-picture footage of Mir, specifically. That was going to be mine, too. It's it's fantastic, isn't it? I actually really like the shots. Um, In addition to, like, they provide a lot of emotional insight for Mir. Um, They're just kind of funny. Also, really sad at the same time. Zach, do you have a high point? I think I might have to go with Isaac basically being like, we have to stop this thing or the plants are dead. Like, just that immediate reaction of, we're killing this thing now. I really like how Isaac, he actually is acting like he's in charge and he's taking charge. Especially contrasted to Diarca starting to waffle and Isaac's like, none of that, shoot it. <laughs> I'm going to go with Shin's mental breakdown, because I have been there. Like, that exact, like, head in your hands. Oh, like, yeah. not being able to deal with what you've done. Not, like, shutting down. And then your friend is just like, yeah, but we have to murder him. That wasn't me, I don't <laughs> think. Tyler, do you have a low point? I'm actually going to say it's the very final shot of Durundal looking smug and superior for some reason, despite the fact that he was clearly shocked by the giant moon laser earlier. In his Palpatine chair? Yeah, like, I don't mind the Palpatine chair. I'm okay with that. If it hadn't been immediately preceded by, oops, I just lost like 10% of my population. Zach, do you have a low point? Uh, I think mine's probably going to be one of the obvious ones. That whole conversation at the end about Durundal's plan is just super poorly done it's not very well executed they don't explore the idea like i said genuinely a contender to me for a low point of the series and stella's in this series and like i said before and we got into it more often than once but i think it bears repeating again we have to stop the chairman from implementing this plan never mind that dude that just murdered millions of people well maybe he shot the chairman and then we wouldn't have to deal with it you still have to deal with that because he's a mega space racist (laughs) (laughs) There's still coordinators alive. Speaking of mega space racists, I'm going to go with Daryl being like, ah, I can use this Lacus Klein to my advantage. Clearly she is on my side. Uh, yeah, that's... Because he's somehow never heard of the most popular pop star who ever pop starred. So this is a really fun idea. At some point, we should do a character popularity contest to see if Steya can beat out Stella. (laughs) (laughs) Look, Steya's got personality. (laughs) And like an arc and if I can, confession. If yeah. I can figure out how to do it, I'll actually, if I'm honest, make Tyler do it. When I make the channel for the end of seed question or end of destiny questions and uh, build divers questions, make that poll in there and have people make their selection there. Just have the poll be who is best girl and have all the Gundam seed girls and stay up. <laughs> 
any final thoughts on the episode, Tyler? I think we hit this one pretty well. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I got most of my final thoughts out before we actually watched the episode. It was all right. I do like Giant Moon Laser, though. I think that's a fun idea. Um, and I do like that Diak and Izarka. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Diak over here. <laughs> Diak, yeah. Um, actually got to do something. It's been a minute. I mean, the idea of the like the moon laser that can shoot anywhere is obviously a pretty good one. Like I said, I don't know if the original Space Battleship Yamato included that sequence, but I know the more recent one definitely included something that had a very similar vibe. I definitely don't think this is the first time let's bounce a laser off some stuff to redirect it has happened, but it might be the first time in Gundam, which also seems weird. I mean, I guess the solar array, the idea of that super weapon is literally it's just a bunch of mirrors and you refocus the sun, but that's a slightly different idea. So join us next week when we will be watching Phase 44, Prelude to Revolution. Until then, we have to keep watching. It is our destiny. Asking me, I have no idea what the real story is here either. Uh -huh.